Hey everybody, it's Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, what were the most surprising numbers from Josh Allen's 2021 season? We take a deep dive. Who were the most reliable Bills on third down? And how might Ken Dorsey change Buffalo's offense? Hey, is anyone watching the Pro Bowl? Glad all of you could join us here on Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker and Bills Insider Chris Brown with you. And it was a very productive offensive season once again for the Bills. By now, everyone is familiar with the exploits of Josh Allen. Came close to matching his 37 passing touchdowns of last season with 36 in 2021. But in digging a bit deeper into the figures, as we often do here, I came across a handful of of interesting splits that I want to bounce off you, Steve. See what you think. So we know that Josh Allen completed just over 63% of his passes this season. Yes, it was down from last year's career best, 69.2%. But I want to begin with his completion percentage split between home and away games. The Bills had nine games at home, eight away during the regular season. Allen's completion percentage at home, 59.8%. Completion percentage on the road, 67.1%. On the road, it was almost 8% higher. What do you make of that? What does it mean? I think some of it's the weather, the conditions they played in. We were absolutely snake-bitten with the weather games here in Buffalo. Even the the opening day Pittsburgh game wasn't perfect in September. September 13th, it was You usually get a pass in September. Usually, Usually, they get maybe... Two or three weather games a year that are kind of iffy. And they had nine home games this year. So you'd think maybe six of those games are going to be, eh, we can play in that. No. I don't know if there was a really, truly good one. Exactly. There wasn't a real good one. Now, the one, uh, the, the playoff game against the Patriots, it was cold. But at least it was calm. But it was bitter. Yeah. And that was as good a game as they had all year. I th- and I'm not saying I'm throwing everything on it. But, you know, 40-mile-an-hour wins in the Patriot game – a downpour in some of these, uh, like three games in a yeah. row, they had a downpour. It was a horrible weather w- year for the Bills at home. And I think on the road, they actually had better luck with the conditions. And this is a team that's built around throwing the football. I mean, you know, there's no two ways about it. Do you, you, talk can, it- you can say what you want about the, the – they, they're, they're playing with the best player in the league. they got to let yeah. him do his thing. So, you know, they're kind of – Married to that philosophy, so they got to take what they get weather-wise. But I think that's one of the reasons. I'm trying to remember some of Josh's worst games at home. The Atlanta game sticks out, obviously, with three interceptions. Had his lowest passer rating in a game in his career. 17 was his passer rating in that game. That obviously pulled the numbers down in terms of completion percentage. Beyond that, yeah, the, the Patriot there, game here was 40-mile-an-hour wins. Well, Nobody yeah, but he didn't it. really throw it a ton in that game to begin with. So I'm trying to think, like, just off the top of my head, what pulled those completion percentage numbers down so precipitously in comparison to the road, which, by the way, includes the Jacksonville game on the road. You know, that was a stinker for everybody on the team. Yeah, and they, to see 67% completion on the road – and under 60 at home. I mean, that's a pretty the, wide disparity. The Chiefs game in Kansas City was delayed because of weather. Right, but his numbers were good in that game. Uh, the one at home, the Patriot game, he was 15-30. to 30. 
Right. That here. one hurt. 30, so I would say the Atlanta game, 40 mile an hour. the Atlanta game and the first Patriots game are probably the main players in pulling right. those numbers down as much as they did. So your right. weather point is well taken. Second, Josh Allen completion sp- split for you by pocket location. When Josh Allen delivered the ball inside the pocket in 2021, he completed 67.3% of his passes. When he was outside the pocket, his completion percentage, 42.2%, a 25% drop-off when outside the pocket. That almost sounds hard to believe because I think there is this general belief, Steve, Josh Allen's a guy who makes off-script plays. He does. Running around outside the pocket, buying time, and making something happen. How startling is that number? 42.2% completion. That's astounding to me. And I, I can say there's a couple of things for it. There has to be something because those are the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. One of the things is this. One, this year he was way more, particularly even late in the year when they were really humming, he was way more apt to throw it away when he was outside the pocket, when there was nothing there. He was living to fight another down. So there's a couple of throws a game where he was just flat throwing it away. And he was much more um, willing to do that this year than he has been in years past. Two, um, I think there's a lot of times when he could have completed a pass and decided to run the football as well. There's a little bit of that. Other than that, I think he I don't know that there was that many more plays outside the pocket than there were. I think he was better in the pocket this year, so I think there yeah. was fewer plays outside the pocket than there has been. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have the attempts and completions out there. I just have the completion I'm, percentage, but I, I will tell you this. Passer rating inside the pocket, 91.8. Passer rating outside the pocket, 91.2. Virtually yeah. identical. Yeah. So I think there was his overall body attempts. of work inside and outside the pocket is pretty comparable. It's just this completion percent. I mean, this I looked at these numbers. I was like, what? 25%? Less than, yeah, I, I couldn't I, believe it. I, there's got to be a reason for it, and I think for the most part, it probably, probably has to do with his willingness to throw it away. Um, the fact That's that a he, good point. He didn't um, – plus he didn't – he's better in the pocket. Yeah, and, and I, I would, think not – that, not that he's better rated, but he's – more often in the pocket and getting rid of it on time than he has been in the past. I think the things that you chalk up to the precipitous drop in completion percentage there is when you're outside the pocket, sometimes you live for another down. As you said, you just throw the ball out of bounds, take the incompletion. That obviously impacts your completion percentage. And I wouldn't be surprised if the attempts outside the pocket are lower. Yeah, much lower than that. Because very often when you go off script, if you have nothing – you're either A, throwing it away, or you're tucking it and running for yardage instead of throwing the football altogether. So I would, I would anticipate those would be two of the main reasons why that completion percentage is as low as it is. The third Josh Allen completion split is by pressure. Now, this is the case for every quarterback out there, but when he's not under pressure, Allen completed 70.6% of his passes. When under pressure, completion percentage 39.5%. It's a drop-off of almost 50%. We all anticipate a drop-off, Steve, but to that degree, that's eye-opening. Yeah, it's a, and it's surprising, too, because it doesn't pass the eye test when you think about no. what he is. Um, I've heard as well that he's really good under pressure compared to other quarterbacks, but it doesn't really seem like that when you see these numbers and put in this uh, context. Um, 
get, and I don't know what constitutes pressure and what that looks like on right. the stats, but yeah, this is all, it's all really amazing when you see the drop off and, and we talk about how pressure makes a difference for quarterbacks and, you know, this is, you know, this is statistical proof of it. Um, because this is one of the best quarterbacks, even with all these numbers like this, this is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Period. Right. And while we did point out that the pocket location completion percentages were somewhat negated by a relatively identical passer rating, whether he was in the pocket or out of the pocket, here, without pressure, passer rating 98.7, under pressure, passer rating 70.8. So there's a drop-off in completion percentage, and there's also a drop-off in total passer rating. I will say that touchdown-to-interception ratio, though, is relatively comparable. Um, 22 touchdowns, 9 interceptions without pressure, 14 touchdowns, 6 interceptions under pressure. So a 2-to-1 ratio under pressure, almost a 3-to-1 ratio right. without pressure. Still, both of those numbers pretty good one bonus completion percentage split for josh allen he completed 69 percent of his play action passes when it wasn't play action his completion percentage almost 10 percent lower 61 percent yeah we've known that he's that during the season we were getting numbers about he's how one of the best play action was. passers yeah. in the league uh, so that doesn't surprise me but um yeah it's amazing some of the disparities and once again you and I aren't the one watching the film, so they're, they're, the idea of pressure, um, there's got to be a criteria there that's, that makes... Yeah. I'd like to know what the analytic gurus yeah. decide. Yeah. Oh, yeah, under pressure. Because this it becomes a little bit subjective. Like, does somebody have to get a hand on him? Does somebody have to be within a yard of him? Right. You know, is it when, is it after, if the, if, the, if the ball is in the process of being released, does that count as a pressure or a hurry or whatever you want to call yeah, or it? Or a hit or whatever. You know. So, yeah, it's. You get deep um, down the rabbit hole pretty fast. Yeah, right? you can go. To, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I, I think there's no question. I mean, Josh is like every other quarterback. When you got somebody bothering him, it's harder to be effective. And uh, just like every other quarterback. But to, even so. No matter what the statistics say, the eye test tells you this guy's really, really yeah. good. I don't, I don't care about the numbers. Right? <laughs> Give me I that mean, guy. That's, that's an amazing thing to say. I don't care what the numbers say. That's what are guy. we doing here on Bills Give me by that the guy. And that's, I think that's where all Bills fans yeah. are at this point. We move now from completion percentage to third down reliability. We begin with Josh, whose third down carries led to a first down almost 70% of the time. He averaged 8.2 yards per carry on third down in 2021. That's a fat number, yeah. a really fat number. But as far as receiving targets go, if you had to guess, Steve, who do you believe had the highest catch rate on third down for the Bills this season, caught the most targets thrown at him on third down this year? Who the, would you the say? The highest percentage of targets or the most targets? Highest catch rate. So okay, so it's the highest percentage. Catches of the, most of the targets that he gets. When they threw to him on third down, he caught it more than anybody else. Yes. I will say Beasley. That's a great guess, but it would be incorrect. It was actually Isaiah McKenzie. Oh, good for him. A catch rate of 87.5% on third down. Now, again, sample size relatively small. Right. All seven of his third down receptions also went for first downs for a 100% conversion rate. Next on the list, you want to guess who was second? Yeah, I'll say Gabe Davis. You are correct. Next on the list was Gabriel Davis. Catch rate of 58%. 
converted 91% of his third down receptions for a first down. And the next highest catch rate player for the Bills on third down was Dawson Knox, who really? pulled in just over 55% of his third down targets, converted at a rate of 80%. Owner of the second best conversion rate on third down, we should note, for the Bills was Stephon Diggs, moved the sticks on 91.3% of his third down receptions. Now, seeing that spread of targets on third down, Steve, and with the way this passing game works in general, allowed the Bills to score 36 points on the Chiefs in the divisional playoff. If their opponent takes Stephon Diggs away with their coverage scheme, the Bills can still put up points. That's what that game proves, right. I think, more than anything else. Sure. Do you think, though, that's the right way to execute your passing game? Spread it around to others when your top um, receiver is taken away? Or is it more important to get your top receiver the ball often in a game of that magnitude? No, I think you got to do with what you got. I, I, no question that the Bills have more guys they can depend on than other teams are able to. Some teams have a one and a two. The Bills have got four. And maybe a, with Dawson Knox, more than that. Uh, I think moving the football is the key component there. And Josh throws the open guy. Throws the open guy. Um, some teams can, and, and it's possible we've seen it done, uh, particularly even by the Chiefs. They move their guy, two guys around. Hill and Kelsey move all over the place trying to find a way to get them the football and get the defense into a bind with alignment and motion to get them either confused or difficult to put the best defenders on those two guys. You can do it both ways, and I think both are effective. I think the, the season that the Bills had this last year, um, while it was inconsistent up and down on a, in the big scheme of things, when they got into where they were really clicking – they got enough guys to go around. And I think either way can be effective. And I think you saw a yeah. little bit of the Cincinnati Bengals with their three wide receivers that they have. Those are three pretty elite guys, though. They spread it around. I mean, they have a top five slot in Tyler Boyd. Yep. They have a top five number one in rookie Jamar Chase. And they probably have a top five number two in T. Higgins. T. Higgins. I mean, so they have top it. fivers all the way across the board. So that justifies right. spreading the ball around the way they do. I think that when you get the Bills into a situation like that where you've got times where you've got to depend on one of those guys, those guys have come through, and they now they have well, to. Gabriel Davis certainly did. Gabriel Davis came through in the playoffs. Isaiah McKenzie came through in the New Week England 16. game in New England. Um Cole Beasley has shown up at, at times, although his time shows up has been few and far between, fewer and far between, but he shows up. Yes, at, at times when Makes they need difficult him. receptions, uh, and of course, then you've always got Knox and and Diggs if they if they don't cover him. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with the way the philosophy the Bills used to spread the football around when when they wanted to take Diggs away. As long as they did, if they wanted to allocate defensive assets to Steph Diggs. Other guys were able to make hay, and I think that's the way it's supposed to work. This reminds me of a conversation I had with Coach McDermott during the season because Josh had kind of shed some light on this when I asked him the question. This was after he was force-feeding the ball to Stephon Diggs to get him to 100 receptions to trigger a bonus in his contract, you know, doing right by your teammate. And I asked him, it was so easy to get him the ball today. Why had that not happened through the course of the season more often, similar to what we saw last year when he led the league in targets, receptions, receiving yards, etc. And he gave indication that they wanted to pace guys like Diggs and Beasley through the course of the season, not have the offense be completely dependent on them to be productive, move the football, score points. And they felt that that was better for this team in the long run because last year, 
What yeah, did they experience? They got to the end of the season. That's true. Stephon Diggs had an oblique strain, wasn't 100%. Beast Cole Beasley cracked leg. a bone in his leg, <laughs> yeah. was not 100%. And the passing game suffered in the playoffs last year. Right. So you say, well, what was the difference? The difference healthy. was you saw the healthiest Bills team in the playoffs that maybe we've ever seen ever. So from a health standpoint, it certainly paid off. You could argue that the Bills were playing their best offensive football at the end of the season. Right. And so spreading the ball around and depending on different guys at different times through the course of the season took the physical burden off of people like Diggs and Beasley, and I think it put them in a better position to succeed this postseason. Unfortunately, it just didn't come to fruition at the end of the Chiefs game, I'll say as we one well thing, know. I'll say this one thing, too, and, if, and, and there's no cause and effect here. I'm, I'm, this is merely speculation. But the, maybe that was part of the inconsistencies they had offensively throughout the year. And if you could have won one more game, or partic- one more game if it was like the Tennessee game, two more games if it was Nashville and or I mean Jacksonville and Tennessee, all of a sudden that risk you take by do forcing the ball to those guys and maybe take you get the one seed and now you're at home throughout the playoffs. You don't go to Kansas City. Kansas City comes. But to are you as healthy? That's the that's the rub right there. Do, can you get there? Now that was a week five or a week six game, yep. seven game against Tennessee. Week nine against Jacksonville. And I you believe. can say this too. There's a lot of reasons why they didn't win those games. Josh Allen falls down in Tennessee on a quarterback sneak going in. There was a, an egregious missed call in the Tampa Bay game. It would have given the Bills first and goal on the Tampa Bay goal on the Tampa Bay one. If they make the right call there, so you win. You know, though any one of the either one of those two plays yeah. spins the dial towards home field, and there and that wouldn't have risked anything more. So there's all of that there, and that's the razor's edge you're walking, trying to get to the playoffs, playing your best, and being healthy, which the Bills did this year, and it was quite the job to get there, or taking that risk getting home field and maybe not being as healthy when you're there. I would tend to think that the approach they went with this year will be repeated next year in light of how healthy this team was at the end of the season when you want to be playing your best football. In reviewing the year, they were doing that. They were healthy, number one. They were playing their best football, number two. Now, that's not to say you don't want to try to win a couple of more games to get home games here in Buffalo come the postseason. Brandon Bean stated that as job number one. I would anticipate that Sean McDermott feels similarly. So it'll be interesting to see going forward, especially with a new offensive coordinator, does Ken Dorsey alter the approach? Does he devise ways to keep Diggs more involved, no matter what an opposing defense throws at Buffalo? That, that's going to be interesting to see how that develops through the course of the offseason, spring practices, training camp, preseason, etc. Time to remind you that new customers at FanDuel can get their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just sign up today by going to sportsbook.fanduel.com or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. We move along now to the numbers game. We're going to switch things up on Steve a bit here. Instead of seeing if he can fill out a list of record holders or statistical leaders, as we often do, I'm going to throw some 2021 red zone stats at Steve for the Bills. See if he can guess if the stat is true or false. Steve, are you ready? Okay, yeah. okay we're changing things good. up here. This will be good. Right. You got a 50-50 shot. So music in the background for this. Oh no, it's there. No, it's there. Okay. There we go. In 2021, Steve, in the red zone, Josh Allen had more rushing attempts than Devin Singletary. In the regular season? In the red zone, in the regular season. 
True or false? Josh Allen, more rushing attempts than Devin Singletary in the red zone. In 2021, that's including playoffs? Regular season only. Okay, regular season. At the end of the year, Devin was getting... I'm going to say false. That would be correct. It is false. Devin Singletary, 38 carries in the red zone. Josh Allen with 30. It was close. Yeah, 30. It was close. Yeah, okay. 38 to I 30. Thought, and I'll tell you what, I think a lot of them came late in the season. Devin Singletary got a lot yeah, of touchdowns did. late in the year, and I think that was a result of you know them getting it together up, up front. Yeah. Number two, in 2021, all of Stephon Diggs' receiving touchdowns came in the red zone. True or false? That means inside the 20. Every single one. True or false? He had 10. Let me think. I'm trying to... I'm going to... Oh, I think it's close, but I'm going to say... I'm going to say false. That is actually true. Oh, my God. Ten, I thought it might have been close. All 10 of his touchdowns in the red zone this year. 10 of Diggs' 19 receptions in the red zone accounted for all 10 of his touchdown catches. It's pretty remarkable. Like, yeah. I do remember that deep ball on a deep post. It was against the Chiefs in the first game. Yeah, but he couldn't. And he let the guy catch him. Well, like, kinda, people were like, he, hey, is he, he get, how did he not get away from that guy? He thought the guy was close and was going to try and catch it and flex and flinch. And that hesitation yeah. made the tackle yeah all right so that would have been the only one but all 10 in the red zone pretty right. remarkable in 20 number three in 2021 josh allen took more sacks in the red zone than he threw interceptions true or false more true. sacks in the red zone or more interceptions in he the red took zone more sacks he took more sacks because he didn't throw he threw like one interception all right that would be true but it was close steve yeah. Allen was sacked only three times in the red zone, and he threw two interceptions yeah. in the red zone this year. I believe those were the first two red zone interceptions yes, of, his of his career. career. Yeah. And season. they were all in the same game, too, right? Atlanta or something like that? I believe it was Atlanta, yes. Yeah. Okay, number four. In 2021, Josh Allen's touchdown to interception ratio in the red zone was 10 to 1. True or false? I will say, I say false because I think it's me more than I think it's like eleven or twelve to one, wasn't it? I'd say false. You would be correct. It is false. It was fourteen to one. Yes, I knew. I Allen had yeah. twenty-eight red zone <laughs> touchdown passes against his two interceptions. Yeah, fourteen to one. That's a good. Ratio. I'll buy that for a dollar. Talking about ratios, that's the one you want. That's a keeper. And finally, Steve, in twenty twenty-one, the Bills' offense has had twice as many touchdowns as field goals in the red zone. Yeah, I'll, I'll say yes. I'll say true. And you would be correct. The Bills offense had they had a lot of short field goals though, especially at the beginning of the year if you remember. Yeah. The Bills had that. Bills offense had 48 touchdowns in the red zone versus 23 field goals. Mm. So just over two to one there. All right, that's I, I figured I'd switch up the numbers game for you. That was fun. Very nice. All right, yeah. nice job there. Um, and we, we <laughs> you know, we gotta we gotta change things up. You know, the season's over. We gotta get creative here. Yeah, I like the, the true game. false makes it easier because coming up with those lit those. Oof. Yeah, those are tough. Those so I figure you know you're headaches. in the off season. Let you breathe a little bit. <laughs> Give you a Appreciate little true-false. Maybe we'll slip in some multiple choice in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> but good job there in the numbers game. Time 
to remind you once more, we are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Download the app today and make every moment more. All right, Steve, as we mentioned, we close with a discussion on new offensive coordinator for the Bills, Ken Dorsey. We don't have any history off of which to work with right. Dorsey as an offensive coordinator. This is his first time in this role. We know he's very detail-oriented, that he is an interactive coach with his players and seeks feedback. But any thoughts on how Ken Dorsey might change Buffalo's offense for the better? For the better, it's interesting. We, it's about the conversation we had. You would think, uh, as a former quarterback, those guys are notorious. Josh Allen, all these guys are notorious for having favorites. Guys they really trust. Guys they want to try. You know, they want to see this route against this look. Um, and I would think maybe Ken Dorsey would be one of those guys that say, listen, we're going to do this a little old school. We're going to get Steph Diggs at least 10 targets a game. we got to get that guy involved and keep him involved. No matter what the defense thinks of him, we got to do that. When and there's some plus and minus to that. If you're if they know you're going to force targets to that guy at any given point, if you've got a guy like a Gabe Davis or an Isaiah McKenzie, they're going to be there because the defense just doesn't look for them enough. So it may make those guys more efficient, even if their targets go down, their receptions may go up because their efficiency may go up. So I think you know it may bode well for Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley to be more efficient in their targets if a guy like Ken Dorsey comes in and says, listen, Steph, Dig, you're, Steph, you're going to get double-digit targets every single game no matter what. If you can make have a guy like that, Dawson Knox the same, is the same uh, story. Uh, those guys get more efficient because you've got a, number, a true number one that gets statistical number one looks and targets. So that may be one way it goes. Plus – he may have some fresh ideas about how to work the run game, particularly given the fact that there's a chance they may have a new offensive line coach and all that going on. Uh, all of that may be revamped going forward. I think he'll put his stamp on this offense in some way, shape, or form. It, it's likely, I believe, to be subtle, not sure. readily apparent, but I think there will be changes. We know that he's going to call it different than Brian Dable because he's a different person. He's not Brian Dable. He's Ken Dorsey. So his preferences will vary whether he intends to make them different from the previous way this offense was called or not. And I think being at the elbow of Brian Dable for each of the last three seasons, he will get and incorporate everything that he believes Brian Dable did that was good for this offense and then add in his own special seasoning, you know, and, and go from there. I, I think the most telling comment on Ken Dorsey in recent weeks came from Josh Allen, who said when Ken Dorsey came on board, he began to view football in a completely different way. And I think that just speaks to the way not only Ken Dorsey views offensive football, but more importantly, communicates offensive football to the people working under him, namely the players, yeah. and most importantly, we, Josh Allen. We may never, yeah, and as you say, most importantly, Josh Allen, we may never know the subtleties of the differences of this offense and what it looks like under Ken Dorsey. Um, there will, yeah, um, I think the thing that will be the biggest difference is one that we'll never see is his relationship with Josh, how that comes to yeah. fruition. It'll be, you know, it could be just as strong or stronger than it was with uh, Brian Dable, but it's going to be different. And how that relationship 
flourishes or withers, <laughs> who knows, um, is going to have a lot to do with what this offense looks like, and it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and I think Dorsey's ready for this. You know, he, he's got the keys to the car here, so he's got to make it happen. What advantage do you think, Steve, does it give the Bills, at least at the outset of the season, that opposing defensive coordinators have no working history on how Ken Dorsey will call plays? While opponents know this offensive system, they don't know how Dorsey might tweak it, number one, and then number two, call plays in certain down and distance right. situations. There is no book to work off of for him. Yeah, it's as simple as I don't even know if he's going to run or I don't even know what his ratios are. Does he run more? Any. Does he run more on second and short or second and medium, or does he pass more on second and short, second and medium? What about third and long? They don't know what his tendencies are as runner pass. Brian Dable, they threw it on sixty percent of the first downs they had last year. So okay, you got a handle on that. Well, Dorsey, I don't know. What's he going to do? It'll be a month yeah. before at least teams. Four weeks, right? Right. It'll be a month before teams get a handle on start to get tendencies and this kind of thing and start to make guesses about what he's going to do. Um, and when they can start to guess, sometimes they're going to guess right and, and it's going to be tougher for you. And that, you know, but for beginning, they're going to be totally like reactionary as to what he's going to be doing. Right. And it, it brings to mind this the way the Bills ended the season as an, a veritable offensive juggernaut and Josh Allen looking like an all-world player. And knowing on Buffalo's schedule you have Kansas City, the Rams, and the Bengals, it is tailor-made for a heavyweight week one game. Whether it's right. Thursday night opener, whether it's Sunday night or Monday night, they're probably playing one of those three teams in week yeah. one. And with Dorsey as your OC, with no book on that guy, I think it is an advantage for the Bills going into that game. There is no roadmap for how to defend Ken Dorsey's play-calling tendencies because there is no book on it. Yeah. And it reminds me of the 2009 season when Alex Van Pelt was abruptly promoted to offensive coordinator a week before the season started when Turk Schoenert was fired by Dick Duran. Alex Van Pelt had never been an OC before in the NFL. He had been in NFL Europe. There was really no book on him. He had to go into New England on Monday Night Football and play the Patriots and Belichick. They almost won the game. 11 that minutes the, left. They're up 24 to 13. And he coached a magnificent game on a week's notice. That was the Leotis McKelvin fumble. Yes, game. it was. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's. I think there's an advantage there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's an advantage. And it'll be. And I don't know about. We can, we'll get into this more and more as the seasons and, and our podcast progresses, but. There is a lot of thought that, hey, man, they're going to have Mahomes and Josh Allen start the season next year. But, but there's a lot of other matchups out there like Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford. Uh, they're going to get a chance to all, go again. All three of those are road games for the Bills next year. Right. So uh, there's some other matchups that may take the spotlight on opening weekend, but you can bet that those primetime games are going to be full of quarterback matchups in the AFC. I think we both have – enormous respect for Brian Dable, who, you know, wished the best of luck with the Giants. But in a strange way, I think after four years of Dable calling plays, changing who is calling the plays may help keep this Bills offense unpredictable going forward. That'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Please subscribe on whatever podcast platforms you use so you know when the next episode drops. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody.